Welcome to Taking the Higher Road, a Driver Reach and Freightwaves production. I'm your host, Jeremy Raymer, founder and CEO of Driver Reach. On this show, I interview industry experts and thought leaders who bring their insights to the driver lifecycle as we discuss the industry's greatest challenges, driver recruiting and retention. I appreciate all the feedback we've received on the show so far. I enjoy hearing from you. Uh, please send a message to podcast at driverreach.com for any questions or suggestions you have. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road on whatever platform you're using to listen. This week, I'm honored to be joined by Mark Tinney, President and CEO of Job Behaviors, a behavioral analytics company that helps you identify the best candidates for your company. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Great to see you. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're, we're dealing with some unprecedented times. You know, for, for those who are recruiting drivers, uh, it's, it's harder than it's ever been. I feel like I'm seeing job behaviors uh, as well as the concept of predictive hiring in the news more and more lately. So I'd like to talk about job behaviors and, and how you've positioned the company to combat some of the driver shortage challenges, as well as turnover uh, that companies are facing. Uh, I'd also like to talk about how you're helping companies reduce the risk of ever increasing nuclear verdicts. Uh, and, and lastly, I'd like to know what engaging with job behaviors looks like. You know, how simple is it and what does it entail? Uh, of course, we'll also answer a question submitted by one of our listeners in our Deeper Dive segment. That sound okay. good to you? Sounds great. Now, uh, first, can you share just an overview of job behaviors and, and how you got started? Sure. So when I got out of college, I was, I've always been interested in the differences in performance outcomes uh, in all manner of uh, all walks of life, uh, whether it be sports or in business or what have you. It always seems that uh, there are certain things that separate uh, top performers from their below average counterparts. And the more that I looked into it, the more that uh, I discovered it really sort of came down to behavior. There are specific behaviors that people are doing that separate themselves. And, and ultimately, uh, those behaviors lead to not only greater success, but also typically greater satisfaction in the job. So early on, I was uh, fortunate enough to be uh, mentored and, and work with Bill Broderick, who was a uh, sort of a pioneer in behavioral analytics and behavioral assessment. And uh, in 2003, we partnered to uh, create job behaviors, and we've been we've been going ever since. Um, so we sort of coupled behavioral analytics with the internet to be able to provide really uh, meaningful and actionable information in a very uh, swift way, uh, but also in a very predictive way. Um, so. The, the foundation of our program is really uh, that these tools are based on a job analysis with proven top performers in specific job categories. Um, so we, we like to really believe that we respect the work, we respect the workers. And uh, I'd like to say that uh, we're geniuses in, in uh, being able to uh, identify things that, that account for differences in performance, but really it comes down to sitting down with those top performers, doing an in-depth job analysis, uh, which by the way, tend to generate close to 500 behaviors. So even in a fairly uh, entry-level job, uh, you know, for example, in childcare or uh, you know, banking or what have you, um, when you sit down with those top performers, um, it's amazing to see how much is actually going on, and, and not only that, but how much uh, those top performers care about what they do. So that's kind of a, a, a Reader's Digest version, but um, we've been at this for a, a, a good while and, and have a pretty eclectic mix of assessments. Yeah, I think uh, you had shared before, you've been in uh, 
spend over 30 years in assessment. Um, you know, what's the biggest challenge in, in getting adoption of the concept of behavioral analytics and, and predictive hiring? Oh, that's a great question. Well, uh, and there, and there can be some, some obstacles. Um, typically, uh, especially in a high turnover position, uh, you'll find that recruiters have been tasked with filling that pipeline and uh, which is obviously a difficult thing to do. Uh, and so, you know, I'm very supportive of recruiters. Uh, at the same time, uh, management in, in a variety of industries tend to want not only quantity, but quality. Um, in many cases, the, the, the recruiters uh, are, do what they do best, which is to market the company and get people in the pipeline. Um, rarely are they given the tools to uh, identify quality in the candidate pool. So we tend to you know, fall back on other uh, other ways, uh, but but usually the number one goal is to get that person uh, placed. Um, so that's uh, that's a challenge when an assessment can be can be seen as a as somewhat of a roadblock. Um, I think we can counter that argument, but but that is a, a perception that's out there for sure. Yeah, I, I can imagine that being a challenge. You know, you want you you want you want quantity, but you know, I think what we'll really uncover here is how important quality is. You know, and, and, and most companies hire drivers uh, based on meeting, you know, a minimum hiring criteria, right? They know that they've got to at least have this or at least have this. So can you explain how you kind of really turn that idea on its head? Sure. And it's and by the way, in a high turnover position and in a shortage position, um, it's it's understandable that we're going to focus on the minimum qualifications. But we really look at that as almost a, a defensive posture which is, um, you know, as long as this person meets these minimum qualifications, we've got ourselves a candidate. Um, someone can meet minimum qualifications and not be a good match for the job, might be a poor performer in that job, might have a propensity to be unsafe, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, minimum qualifications are just that minimum, whereas um, our assessments take the approach that we, we're sitting down with those top performers. We've identified the behaviors that are accounting for success in that position. And then we're going out and proactively identifying individuals in the candidate pool that are in alignment behaviorally with those top performers. So again, it's a, it's a more proactive, more positive approach as opposed to avoiding the worst. We want to go out and identify the, the best that we possibly can at any given time within that candidate pool. Well, I'm, I'm curious what, what goes through your mind when you see the ever increasing, you know, money that's being thrown at the problem. You know, there's, whether that's, uh, uh marketing and advertising budgets, uh, signing bonuses. I mean, I'm seeing, uh, through the roof, you know, what people are spending compared to what they used to spending. What, what is, what comes to mind when you see that? Well, all of, all of that money is typically being spent again to fill the pipeline. Um, and, and again, it's understandable. Uh, we would make the, the argument that you can, and by the way, I will, I'll take a step back. I'm all for drivers uh, getting increased pay or sign-on bonuses or what have you. Um, typically, that is addressing half of the issue. So obviously, half of the issue is getting people to come and check out your organization. The other half is selecting the right individuals. And, and, and we would contend that you're hiring your culture. So you want to go into that candidate pool and identify individuals who are, you know, behaviorally in alignment with your current best uh, uh, performers. Um, 
if you're going to spend that kind of money, uh, my wife once told me, she says, well, don't don't poor performers want a pay increase as well? <laughs> so that does one thing. If you if you do a pay increase or a signing bonus or what have you, you will have more people coming to check you out. Uh, we would make the case that at that point, just because you've had somebody come and check you out doesn't necessarily mean that you're you're hiring those that have the, the propensity to stay with the job, perform at a high level, et cetera. So what you want to be able to do is use whatever pay increase or signing bonuses or what have you to have people come and check you out and then stand back and assess using a valid laser focused assessment to identify those individuals in the candidate pool that are worthy of that increase in pay or benefits or better equipment or whatever it is that you may be offering. Um, so, so, so often you, you do find, well, we're going to spend, we're going to double our marketing budget or what have you. If, and I don't know if this is a, the best way to, to, to approach it or, or to explain it, but let's say for the sake of argument that you're getting 10 candidates per opening and you double your spending and you get 20 candidates per opening. Well, you've doubled your spending, but if you're still, uh, if you don't have a predictive way of identifying individuals within that pool, then you've doubled your spending and you still are essentially at, at random. And so our approach is to um, move away from the type of ads that are the, put the onus on the candidate, which is the ideal candidate will be X, Y, and Z, and say, which, which is a kind of a, an approach to screen. A lot of times you'll see ads that are almost an attempt to screen candidates. And really what they could be doing is putting people off. Uh, our recommendation is to flip that script, really sell the company, whatever it is about your company that makes it attractive, put that in your ads. As those folks come in, then stand back and assess and identify those individuals that are worthy of that increase in pay or benefits, right? Um, and, 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 you know, I think, you know, we often talk about Within any organization, within any uh, trucking company, if they have 10 drivers, if they have 1,000 drivers, or if they have 20,000 drivers, typically uh, half to, you know, 50 to 60 percent are pretty darn good. And they've been there a long time. Uh, the, the, the goal is to go into the candidate pool and identify individuals that are behaviorally in alignment with your current best. And they're out there. Now, sometimes they don't interview beautifully. They may not have the most uh, outstanding resume. Um, they may have uh, jumped one too many jobs. Um, and in each of those cases, we would say, you know, one, a candidate, a driver candidate is not being hired to make a beautiful resume or to interview wonderfully. Um, so having an assessment that's, again, based on a job analysis at the end of the day can be as meaningful for the candidate as for the company because it allows that individual who again may not be the best at interviewing to to really shine and, and show that he is in fact what you're looking for and that also gets to experience which um, we may, we may want to talk about a little bit later but you know these tools because they're the behavioral nature of these tools we would contend that about 80 percent of that pie if you're looking at this job as a pie graph is going to be behavioral about 20 percent technical um, so that being said we can actually uh, identify non-traditional candidates or ca candidate pools that, uh, especially in a driver shortage situation, we may not want to pass over. We can go into those pools with confidence because we can identify, again, those that are behaviorally in alignment and uh, identify people that maybe in the past uh, are getting passed over, but who in fact would be an asset to the company. 
Well, you made a really good point. You said you're hiring your culture. And I don't know if people think about it that way, but I think that uh, it's a good way to, to approach, you know, any talent acquisition in general. Um, can you real quick, because I know this is not a, a personality test. This is a behavioral test. What's the difference between the two? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. So most most folks are familiar on some level with a personality-driven tool. Um, and by the way, personality assessments tend to be fairly accurate in, in identifying personality type. Uh, the rub comes when you sit down with a group of top performers. So in the case of, of drivers, if, if, if you were to, in your mind's eye, sit down with the top 10 best drivers in your organization, I would, I would bet a fairly large sum of money that you're going to see just about 10 different personality types. So knowing that, uh, and by the way, the, the idea there is that at some point you have to make a leap in logic as to how personality translates into on-the-job behavior. Because we know top performers come in all types of personalities, really we're turning that model upside right and saying we know top performers come in every personality under the sun. Top performers, however, here's what they have in common, the core behaviors that account for success in the job. And just uh, since we're on that subject, I've just printed off a few. When we do, again, when we do a job analysis, you'll end up with close to 500 behaviors. There's a rating process that, that we go through that allows us to rank order those behaviors from highest for performance value down to the lowest. Um, and that becomes sort of the bedrock of the assessment. But again, these are behaviors that were generated by top drivers and then rated in the, in the top quartile, in the top 25%. So, and this is the way that drivers think about the job. You know, this is not us coming from the outside. Uh, so acts as an effective representative of the employer, maintains self-control in difficult or stressful situations, stays patient at all times, keeps word and does what's promised, comes to work well-rested, works well under pressure, uh, stays focused on driving at all times, takes responsibility for tractor, trailer, and cargo, uh, uses patience with difficult individuals, uh, stays available to dispatcher, uh, makes every effort to do the best job possible, maintains a neat and clean appearance. And then this is interesting, uh, makes every effort to improve the image of the truck driver. So, the top professional drivers are very mindful of their image, and they also, um, they, so in a sense, they understand that they're not only representing their employer, but they're also representing the industry. And that's the way they think about the job. And the interesting thing is you can have someone who's coming right out of school who, who is bringing those core behaviors. Um, and you may have a driver that has been driving for 10 years that has very few of these behaviors, but is technically competent. And, uh, you know, those are the ones that tend to, you know, be, be the most problematic in the organization. So um, just having the technical ability to drive from point A to point B is, is, is fine, but um, it can also be pretty important that, that they're, and, and by the way, we don't know where these behaviors come from, but we can measure them in the individual. And, and, and then we have hundreds of thousands of drivers in our database, and then we can essentially put each candidate in relation to everyone ever tested, as well as that the North Star, those top drivers. So the, those we would call five star drivers. Um, or, you know, and they, they're about, you know, 15, 16 percent of the, of the population. So they're not everywhere. But in any situation where you're hiring you, at the very least, you want to be able to take the best of what's available to you at that at that moment in time. And over time, 
you know, continue to raise the bar. Well, and I saw that you're uh, you're working with the Next Generation in Trucking uh, Association, which I recently interviewed the the co-founder. You're helping them identify the best high school students, uh, you know, candidates for their training curriculum, which leads me to wonder if if this isn't just for carriers, but also for truck driving schools. Is that is that correct? Well, I would say absolutely you're correct. Um, however, um, there's a business model there that, that may not be in alignment at this point. However, what, what I can say is, is happening is in, in really picking up steam are the carriers that either A, are uh, doing contract training, so they're putting their jersey on and, and, and sending them into school, helping them to fund it, and then uh, having a job ready for them when they get out, or carriers that are, in fact, running their own training program, which our, our clients are reporting about $6,000 to uh, to put someone through training. Um, and then also using the assessment to identify candidates as they come out of training. So just knowing that, you know, and, and I won't get into the the, the, the rate of, of dropout of the industry, but it's it's significant when folks come out of a driver training school and they've got their CDL it's not unusual for a good percentage of them to be out of the industry in a relatively short period of time. Doesn't mean they're bad people. Doesn't mean they had a bad personality. It just means they maybe they weren't the best match. So a carrier can really have a significant advantage by reserving the right to assess for the behaviors as they're coming out of school. The schools, and by the way, these behaviors we just talked about, very difficult to train for. So most schools are, are spending the lion's share of their time imparting technical skill, which is obviously what they need to do. Um, but if you can enroll for behavior and train for skill, you're going to come out with a well-rounded individual. And, you know, the outcomes that we're seeing from, from our clients are, uh, quite positive. Um, uh, you know, paper transport right now is, is doing this. Um, they've seen their turnover drop dramatically. Their show rates, I mean, we're talking a 50% and dropping in, in their, in their, in their turnover, but as importantly, their safety is improved. They've had their safest year on record last year. They've been using us since uh, 2018. Um, safety is a behavior, and, and it's something that, again, is uh, wrapped up in the individual when they come to the table, and we can identify that in, in the individual. So um, other things, too, unscheduled maintenance get, gets uh, is, is vastly improved. Mile, fuel mileage, top drivers think about fuel mileage and how it re relates to the profitability of the company. Um, so there's a, there's a number of other issues you know, we sort of, whenever I'm talking to Kara, try to, try to emphasize that, you know, profitability starts at the point of hire and by, with all the money that's being spent on recruiting and flying the flag and getting people to apply, if you can just take a small portion of that, and and be just a little bit more diligent at that candidate phase. It can just pay off huge dividends, not only for not only for turnover, but also for safety. Again, safe uh, fuel mileage, maintenance, and, and 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 frankly, customer interaction. We have uh, carriers that are dedicated, and they've actually come back to them and just been you know praising them on the quality of the folks that they're sending. And so, in a, in a dedicated position, it can even be sometimes obviously a little even a little more important to. Make sure you're, you're you're getting the right people. Well, I'm glad you mentioned paper transport because uh, their VP of operations, Wes Kornowski, I I, I quoted, uh, I wrote this down. He says the biggest variable that's led to our success in going from 80% turnover to sub 50% 
is that we introduce job behaviors. And now we have committed people coming through the doors who really want to work with us. And I thought that was a, it was a great interview that you did. I think it was on a Freight Waves channel. And it was just, uh, I think it, it was a testament to kind of what you shared before, the, the dramatic improvement in turnover. Um, you also, I know, highlight cutting time to hire. How, can you explain how, how you're able to improve speed to hire uh, for those using it? We almost look at the assessment. And by the way, it takes about eight to 10 minutes on average to complete the assessment. Um, the results are instantly emailed. The candidate uh, sees a thank you screen and, and then those results are instantly emailed back and, and can integrate with an ATS as well. Um, so the, the, the process typically is you're spending some time on the phone with a candidate, obviously, um, which Again, it's a bit of a subjective step, so you may be excluding some folks that, that might otherwise be strong. Um, and by having the assessment as the first step, and we do recommend it being as close to the, if not the first step, as close to the front of the process as possible. And we sort of look at it as the candidate earning the right to take up your time as an organization. So we want a, a laser-focused assessment where the content is coming out of a job analysis that's very predictive, that's consistent, and that candidate then is, you know, and in some cases, again, may not be the best at interviewing or what have you, but we want to have something objective and predictive before something that's more subjective and less predictive. So we want to front front load that pipeline, if you will, so that when those recruiters are talking with someone, they're talking with someone who has a very high probability for success, um, rather than, again, having, you know, a lot of times we're looking for mirrored uh, responses and so forth. And there are people that are perfectly nice people, uh, and, you know, in, in any setting, you might want to have a beer with them, may not be a good match for the job that you're offering. And sometimes a recruiter can kind of get off track on the personal side, as opposed to is this person really, really going to be in alignment with, with what we're looking for going forward. So there's two things that can happen there by the, having the assessment. Um, you can avoid spending a great deal of time with individuals that may not be worth that time. The other side of the equation is when you're doing once you've done that with the pool of candidates that are high potential candidates, you know, our recommendation is to redouble your efforts with that group. Um, a lot of times and I've had uh, carriers that I've worked with um, who've done surveys. And the number one reason that someone who was a viable candidate didn't come on board was a lack of follow up. So before, when we were talking about the amount of money that's spent, when when you have a river of candidates coming your way, um, there's sometimes not a great incentive to follow up with someone who might have because there's always another one, you know, com coming your way. And so if you're able to stratify that candidate pool and identify those that are high potential, then it's worth having a follow up plan with those folks, maybe a second or third call. And in, and in a lot of cases, even sharing with them the fact that, hey, you're what we're looking for. You're the kind of person and drivers don't often hear that. Right. So that, that can also kind of help in the process. So, again, you can either save that time uh, about 50 percent and or redouble efforts with high potential candidates. And that makes a lot of sense. The, you know, the cream rises to the top and that's where you can spend a majority of your time. Now, uh, with the last minute or so left, can you can you. Uh, you know, if any listeners would like to learn more, can you, can you describe the process? You know, is there a sort of like free consultation or how does that work? How does getting engaged with job behaviors work? 
Sure. They can go to our website, just send a, a request. We follow up immediately. We, we do a free consultation. We also have an introductory package, which is a relatively low barrier of entry to get a feel for the program where they're set up with an account, typically uh, can assess some existing folks, kind of get a feel for it. And then we uh, ten, tend to move on to a subscription base where uh, there's an unlimited usage model. So we, we, we really encourage, again, that this that objective step be before the more subjective one. And, and so with an unlimited usage, it really encourages that to be as close to the front as possible. Perfect. And I, and, and, and Job Behaviors website, J-O-B-E-H-A-V-I-O-R-S. And I'll make sure that that's in the program notes. But uh, uh, thank you. You can also call. We, we also have an 800 number, 800-763-9550. And uh, so, you know, anybody can call anytime. Awesome. Well, uh, Mark, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, appreciate your insight and look forward to chatting again. All right. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I enjoyed the, enjoyed the discussion. And thanks for joining me for another episode of Taking the Higher Road podcast and for spreading the word to your industry peers. We really appreciate it. Remember to follow along at driverreach.com slash podcast. And please submit any questions or comments, including those which may appear on upcoming Deeper Dive segments at podcast at driverreach.com. And don't forget to rate and review Taking the Higher Road podcast on whatever platform you listen. And until next time, thank you for taking the higher road.